Helen, you're a Presbyterian minister, but you're also here in Galway in unusually the Methodist Presbyterian Church, a beautiful little church just beside the Victoria Hotel near Air Square. So how did that come about and is that an unusual marriage? I suppose it is uh, unusual in some ways, but in other ways the the churches have been working together in, in different capacities and this church was kind of birthed uh, from something called the Mission Partnership Forum within the Methodist and Presbyterian churches and they were looking at ways that they could do mission together, work together, better partner together and uh, the idea I think w- came about that in certain places where the two churches, a Presbyterian church and a Methodist church, perhaps are, are going through difficulties, declining in numbers perhaps, that it might be an idea to try putting them together, uniting them as a church and seeing then if they could flourish and grow in that way. So uh, it took place around the country, I think perhaps in five or six different places, this uniting of churches and uh, ourselves in Galway, the church united in 1980 and uh, they flourished uh, since then in certain certain towns it maybe didn't work so well and other places it did. Uh, At the moment there's ourselves here in Galway then there's United Church in Limerick Reverend Vicky Lynch is the minister there, a Methodist minister, and then there's another one in Sandy Mountain, Dublin, and uh, Reverend uh, Catherine Meyer is the minister there. You hear you're in the middle of Galway. Do you feel you're rooted in the community, or how does that work? Um, in one way, I feel that we are because we're right off Air Square. You can see us from Air Square. We're right in the centre. We've all the joys with that that we're easy to find for foreign students and people new to Galway. They can just see us. They can pop in. Um, we have the challenges with that. We don't have a car park. Um, we have a few various challenges with being in the inner city. But uh, yes, I, I, th- I believe that we're rooted in here. We've good connections with other churches, uh, with the Augustinian Church, with um, the Church of Ireland, St. Nicholas's uh, Collegiate College Church. Uh, we have lots of different links within the city. But in saying that, uh, we do have people who come from Inishbofin to the church. We have people who come from Gort. We have, in the past, had people from Ballinasloe or towards the burn and a lot of our congregation live kind of in some of the suburbs in Galway around Galway city centre so we've a lot of folks living in Ballyban, Dugishka, Knocknacara uh, just outside then we have students living in the centre of Galway as well so we're kind of a mixture uh, of people from from all different backgrounds and places so yes I, th- I think we are rooted firmly in, in the city centre though yeah. Now in terms of the uniting of the Methodist and Presbyterian churches First of all, for for our listeners, what would the main differences be and what would the difficulties have been? I mean, obviously they're Christian churches, but they are different. Mm I suppose in, in governance, sometimes there's issues that, that would be a difference, just sometimes how the local church, it's slightly different. Both operate under this idea, and I hope I'm getting this all right. I'm only ordained three and a half years, so please for, forgive me anybody listening who, who can correct me on some of the things I'm saying. But uh, generally within the Methodist church, you would have obviously a team of leaders that, that come from the lay people, um, and they would be called a council, and then you might have a committee as well. The council members would be elected for a certain amount of time, a couple of years perhaps within Presbyterianism the, the team of leaders that are to be the spiritual guides of the church they are kind of commissioned, ordained for life so it's a little bit different in that respect but 
Uh, within the structures, there are similarities as well. And within worship, it's very similar, I find. So within the Methodist tradition, you might have a little bit more set liturgy. Some of the prayers, a bit more similar to the Church of Ireland. Sometimes a bit more formality, uh, perhaps within the structure of the service. Within Presbyterianism, we think that we're rebellious and dissenters and don't have too much liturgy. But of course, we have an order of service as well. And we follow a certain order as well. But I find here in Galway, it works well because we emphasise that we're a Christian community and we emphasise what we have in common and in my time here anyway I haven't come across any difficulties of course that the history of the two churches are, is different um, and sometimes their focus their emphasis would be slightly different in their theology but in, in my opinion they're both revival movements, they're about the stirring of the heart, about following Jesus Christ with all of who you are um, and so they have the main things in common in place so they work well together. There's enough this the, the bolt that holds it all together is strong enough in mm. terms of that, as you say, a revival, that sense of Christ at the centre. Mm. So if you were to have a liturgy, do you have a liturgy on a Sunday or Saturday or how does that work? We do. We have our service on Sunday morning at half 11 if anyone's in Galway sometime on holidays. We've lots of holiday makers come and visit us at half 11 and uh, we finish up at about one. So it's a little bit of a longer service than some people uh, might be used to. But we, we have yeah, a mixture of praise and prayer and the preaching of the word. So it's very relaxed very informal everyone's welcomed um, so it's not a sort of a set f- you read certain prayers you sing certain hymns or you, you, it's not like that is it, is it more free-flowing uh, no we do have a set order so there is a praise group and they've practiced their songs that they lead us in at the beginning um, and they the praise group would have perhaps slightly more of an African feel we're a very multicultural church community so uh, we've a lot of see the drums up here yeah, yeah. we have drums and uh, we have the tambourine would be going as well and uh, we have people from all different backgrounds and nationalities here it's very multicultural as I said a lot from different African countries so that would come across in the praise that we sing together there might be a bit of hand clapping and movement if people feel comfortable to to join in but we would use more traditional hymns as well and a lot of the Wesleyan hymns and and uh, we we do have a set structure as well that we kind of follow so we welcome people in we have praise prayer of adoration and confession and then we have a children's time so we have a children's talk for them we have lots of children here at the church which is brilliant they're very lively and fun uh, they love sweets and messing and uh, they're great at interacting so we give them a message we have a lovely fun song with them uh, then we have announcements and then uh, we'll have readings during our service from the scriptures the old and new testament we have our sermon time and then we'll have our, our time of blessing and, and song at the end we share in holy communion or the eucharist once a month on the first sunday of the month so that's important as well it's a great mixture so those readings then who would are they laid down i mean i'm thinking very much in the catholic tradition you know they're formally laid down you know what year you're on you know what mm-hmm. you're reading or are they ones would you have a group who pray about it and decide we'll take this theme or that theme how does that work? It's a good question I'm a Presbyterian minister and Presbyterian ministers would vary in, in how they do that often they would preach from a theme or they would preach uh, expository preaching always from the text but they might choose a book that they're going to look at for the next coming months in the Methodist tradition they would probably use more the lectionary so they would be aware of the readings that are being read the Church of Ireland and, and within the Roman Catholic churches as well 
I use kind of a marriage of the two here as well. I think it's good to incorporate both. So with Advent and Lent, I would often use the lectionary readings or I would just see what the lectionary readings were for that Sunday that, that is coming up while I'm preparing. But I also try to get into a theme or a book. So what we do here is from Christmas to Easter, we look at a particular gospel. So this time we're looking at Mark's gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So we're, we're focusing on that before Easter. And then in the summer, we've lots of visitors and, and people coming and going. So I might take a theme like I've done before, the fruit of the spirit or uh, Jesus on the coast, meeting Christ on the coast. Um, apt for the beautiful Galway coast here. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So try and pick different themes as well that people can kind of connect onto when we look at a passage connected to that. It's amazing that it works so well because there are differences, as you say, and sometimes people can be set in their ways and say oh no I liked that the readings and I loved hearing my reading every Sunday or whatever but it does seem to thrive you're saying people are very happy and happy to come for one and a half hours to worship together. I think we try and compromise with what people are used to as well in their backgrounds and we, we try and include people as much as we can. It is true that in certain places there might have been problems but I think when people are focused on, on God and on Christ's mission and what he's called them to they can let go of certain things that aren't so important. And I know when the two churches came together, I believe it was 1980 in Galway, there probably were some worries for some people, it's true, and things they needed to talk about and pray about. But I remember hearing that when the first Sunday came about and the two churches were, were coming to have their first service together, somebody told me that the Methodists, because they meet in the Methodist church, this is the Methodist chapel, the Presbyterian church has been sold uh, in Galway, it's on uh, Nuns Island. And when they were just a approaching, coming for their first service. The minister, I think, found that the Methodists weren't there at the beginning of the service or just before he was going to start. And, you know, maybe that could have sent alarm bells and thought, oh, is there a problem? But actually what the Methodist folk had decided to come a little bit late. So to make sure that the Presbyterians who were their first time in a new building for this new adventure of coming together, that they could choose what seats they sat in. Yes. I thought no one would feel that they had to sit in certain places because the other seats were taken by the folk who were already here. It's so very thought, sensitive, isn't it? And, yeah. and very generous because there have been many around a Roman Catholic Church about who's sitting on what seat and I my mother sat there for generations and we're not taking the pews out symbolically it was a very generous gesture I believe so and I think it speaks about the people who attend the church here they're very generous and think of others of course we all have you know uh, we're all human but generally I find here that the, the folk are so generous and so kind and it just showed me hearing that story just the depth of how they wanted to offer welcome and welcome is really important in this church it's really at the heart of who we stand for, that Christ has welcomed us. God has welcomed us into the family of faith and into the covenant, this new wonderful covenant that offers new life. So we have to be as welcoming as possible to everyone and anyone, not judging, not setting our ways. And people here are, are very forward thinking, I think, at embracing the other. And I know when I heard of one issue that came up in its time, before my time here, one small issue within just a cultural issue of how people did things differently. Somebody said to me at the time, uh, when they looked back at the time, they said, we did differ about it, but out of love and respect for that person, we decided to step back about the issue. And I, I thought that just showed again how they put respect and love at the heart of how they interact with one another. You mentioned blessing there in your description of the liturgy that you celebrate here. How important is that in the, your tradition? 
Well, I just think in, in our church here and in everything we do, we, we want to be a blessing to others. And I know I've been blessed here. And a lot of my African brothers and sisters here will remind me of the, the beauty of that word blessing as well. Um, I, I remember going to a service or a conference with somebody from the church and uh, she was being greeted by the, the person who'd been speaking after it. And they said, did you enjoy the service? And she said, I've been blessed. And no one else, I think, perhaps would have used necessarily those words. It was a type of conference kind of service. But she just felt she was blessed and enriched. And I just know in my life, I'm being blessed continually by people here in the church. And I seek to be a blessing to others. And we seek to be a blessing and to shine light, uh, to be God's messengers of light and bearers of light and love in Galway. So I just think blessings are a really important concept that perhaps we can all think about today, even those listening to this, think about what God is saying to you about being a blessing and how you're blessed by him, how he loves you and has set you apart for different callings and gifts that he's given you to use for others. I'm just intrigued. You said you're a Presbyterian minister just for three and a half years. Now you're mm. quite young you're, and you're married. How did that come about and how did your husband react when you said, I'm going for a ministry? <laughs> That's going back a long time. I love it when people say that I, I'm young or I look young. I don't feel it very much. But um, yeah, I, I was an assistant minister now for four years before coming here, but I'm just ordained, yeah, about three and a half years now. Um, my husband uh, knew probably what he was getting into when we were um, getting married. We're married nearly 10 years now. And I remember at our, uh, when we were at our wedding service, uh, the minister who married us, it was in Lucan Presbyterian Church near Dublin. Trevor Morrow was the minister there and is a good friend of ours and the whole sermon and address during the wedding was about how (laughs) how Helen would be a great minister and how she'll be a great minister and uh, about the call in our lives and following that call that God's placed in our lives and the gifts that he's given us so it was was quite funny looking Mm -hmm. back now but uh, my husband's been very supportive Um, I think he like myself uh, needed to think through some of the issues as we were praying about it and thinking about it and before I put off this idea of being called into ministry for a long time, probably out of fear, and I needed to pray and think about some of the scriptural passages that address this issue about women and leadership in the church, and I needed to study them in depth, um, and I needed to speak to a lot of people who felt differently on the issue and pray about it a lot, but God seemed to do certain things in my life which just convinced me that I could not run away from it any longer. I had to, to follow that sense of call that I had and Dave uh, thought about it prayed about it too and he's been extremely supportive uh, to me it's been a bit of an adventure for him as well uh, he comes from a proper Presbyterian background I, I grew up in the Church of Ireland and have attended lots of different churches so I'm a bit of a mixture in my background uh, but Dave grew up uh, Presbyterian and uh, and he, he needed to just think about certain issues as well but it's been it's been an adventure for us not always easy but yeah we, we work the, as a would team. the women's issue have been women in ministry been an issue for him as a Presbyterian or not he didn't think it was but then as time went on and I was following this this call and, and he did need to think about things and, and, and pray about them and study a bit more um, because 
he realised that within the church, it's it's not an easy place to be sometimes uh, for myself as a woman minister and for him as a follower of Christ who feels very evangelical, very committed to Christ, and yet sometimes can be branded perhaps as a liberal or somebody who's an outsider because his wife is is a minister in the church. So um, there was different things we had to wrestle with, really. So it hasn't always been easy for him as well. There's a type of loneliness that comes as any minister or clergy or person working in ministry will find. But there's also sometimes perhaps a loneliness for the family, for loved ones of that minister. There's travelling, moving involved and and everything else that goes with working in the church. You know, he's had to go through that in a particular way, but but he's very supportive, as I was telling you uh, earlier before this interview. He makes lunches for church, he does tea and coffee, he plays music, he really, he does <laughs> DIY, um, he does bits of everything for me, which is wonderful. Yeah. But a good role reversal going on there, <laughs> very healthy. <laughs> I want to ask you as well, Helen, about this year of mercy. I've been speaking to people from different traditions, different Christian traditions, about the year of mercy, which Hope Francis inaugurated. It's now come to a close, of course, but it was an extraordinary jubilee year. So when I was with them, I would ask them about the importance of mercy in terms of their church, their faith, their practice. And for you, how important is mercy in the life of your own prayer life and your own faith life and your church? Well, I think it's at the heart of everything, really. When I think about that word, I was thinking about different verses from the scriptures that speak of God's great compassion and love demonstrated through Christ on the cross for us. But this image of of, uh, coming from the prodigal son, that wonderful story told by by Jesus, uh, I think in Luke 15, where we hear of this son who left home and then his return to the father. And I suppose I was thinking about that and meditating on that before this interview, thinking about how the son expected coming home, perhaps to receive a rejection, perhaps to receive, well, not to receive a welcome, to have to plead forgiveness, to be embarrassed, uh, to be humiliated in front of all the staff and all all the workers in the house and his father and his brother and family to feel that embarrassment and and wondering what he would receive actually would he be rejected would he have to leave and suddenly when he returns home or he's on his way we read that the father runs to him is watching out for him and embraces him Uh, so what he receives is this embrace this amazing encounter which was all about the father's just complete mercy and love and compassion and forgiveness for his son and he didn't want to even hear about the son's woes or what he had planned to say. He didn't even care about that. He just wanted him to come home and celebrate that he'd returned home. And and Jesus, I suppose, told us to, to demonstrate um, how much the Father wants us to return home to him. You know, wants his, his children to come home to him and feel his embrace um, and his mercy and his compassion. So I think that idea of, of this deep welcoming embrace is, is really essential in the life of a Christian, in whatever church they worship in, uh, part of the body of faith, um, the body of Christ. It's at the heart of who we are and we're to live by that mercy and compassion and show it and demonstrate it by our words and our actions. And I suppose at this time when there's so much talk at the moment of barriers, 
of fear, of rejection of the other who's different. This message is very powerful within the church and we need to be reminded of it. And in Galway here, we have uh, quite a few hostels, direct provision hostels for asylum seekers. And in our church, we have quite quite a lot of our members have come through that system or are still asylum seekers. I have the privilege and honour of walking with them and hearing some of their stories. And it's essential as a church that we operate with mercy at the core of who we are. And um, I think Pope Francis has really touched on what the essential is as a, for a Christian that has to be at the heart of how we live our lives and how we relate to other people. That's very interesting because putting it into that context, because certainly, as you say, in the times that we're in now, we're we're doing this interview at the time that um, President Donald Trump has issued his executive order banning people from certain countries. The sense that I'm getting from you is that what we're really operating out of very often and what people who will justify that and, and, and think that it's OK, but they're operating perhaps out of a sense of fear and the sense of the other as the other, as stranger, not as fellow human being loved by God. And that mercy holds that space and that place because it causes to something bigger. Definitely. And, and, and the mercy, of course, speaks as well of the sacrificial love of Jesus. You know, how did God demonstrate such love for us by, by giving his son mm. so that none may perish but all have eternal life. You know, as we trust in, in Jesus, we are called to demonstrate that amazing sacrificial love, that agape love of God that lays down one's life for one's friends. And uh, I think the church has a powerful message to give at this time uh, that we cannot, there are different ways to react to situations, to people who are different or to challenges that we have. But I believe we we can't react in certain ways and say that we are acting as a Christian. As Christians, we are compelled to love as Christ loved. And we don't have a choice in that if we're being Christians. And last week in Galway, we had our service at the chapel at NUIG uh, for the week of prayer for Christian unity, which was wonderful. And uh, the speaker I'd invited... um, uh, Reverend Heather Morris from the Methodist Church to come and preach for us and she reminded us uh, looking at the passage a passage from 2 Corinthians 15 and then this passage of the prodigal son that we are compelled to love as Christ has loved us and so that means we must be ambassadors of reconciliation. It, it can't be a concept or idea in the back of our heads uh, she noted it has to be at the forefront of who we are I believe that's a beautiful message that we have. It's not easy to live out in our lives mm. um, because we might have challenges, perhaps not with perhaps new migrants coming in to go away or to Ireland, but it might be a problem within our families. It might be a problem with somebody who has very different opinions to us, somebody down the pub who we fight with or argue with, or a friendship with a friend, problems that are very deep and difficult to overcome. So I think this message, though, speaks to all of those issues, that we have to lay down what at times we want or we want to do or say to listen to the other to love the other Uh, yes we must speak up for justice and for rights and we must speak for truth but we also must be humble as we do that and have Christ's love in us and you used that word justice and that's one of the themes that came up when we are called to be merciful well there's a but there's a justice here and how the the balance of mercy and justice and yet as you say, if we're compelled to follow Christ, very difficult because the model that he sets and the love that he gives, justice goes down the 
peck in order very fast. Mm-hmm. And that biblical line, mercy triumphs over justice every time. Mm-hmm. That's true. And I suppose we have to rely and depend on the Holy Spirit in our lives and, and that wonderful fruit of the Spirit that he gives us to help us, to enable us to trust God, to, to speak for justice and, and know that we follow a God of justice who is just and righteous. But in saying that we are human, we are sinners, we are imperfect and we have to make sure that we're always addressing our own sins as we try and address the sins that we see around us in a broken society as well and always trusting that there will be justice even if we do not see certain justice now um, we believe in eternal life and we believe that Jesus Christ will come again in glory so we must also know that there will be justice for some certain things that there doesn't seem to be justice for now um, we have to trust God with what he tells us and that's that's a difficult one are you sort of saying that perhaps Perhaps when all is unfolded and all is said and done, that if people have perpetrated massive evils, that they will suffer the consequences of those evils if they have not repented. Mm. Yes, I think that we'll have to answer for how we've lived our lives. And I, you know, if we aren't Christians, yes, you could be completely hopeless looking at the world and thinking, well this person or this happened and this happened and they haven't answered for these crimes or injustices. Um, as I said, it's, it, it, it is important that we do stand for the vulnerable and the needy and we do care about justice because our God mm. is a God of, of justice and he has given us commandments to keep. He's given us ways to live so that we can live fully in relationship with him and with others. But at the end of the day, we have to give over situations to him as well uh, that don't seem to have an easy answer now and trust uh, that he is all that he says he is and that we have to leave certain situations and perhaps people in his hands because we do believe that there is more beyond this life. Finally, you mentioned the Augustinian Church, which is very near here, very well-known, novenas, very popular you have a good relationship and work with them as well? Is yes, there, there, there is. We have quite a few services during the year that we come together for and uh, I think we have quite good friendships as well, you know, good chats when we get together. Of course, we're all, it's an awful word to use, busy. Everyone hates that word, but everyone, I suppose, is ploughing away and sowing seeds and busy with different things. So we maybe don't get together perhaps as much as I would like or some others would like. But uh, I know when I moved to Galway, I was very welcomed. Now, Father uh, Dermot Hogan is in in Oran more, but uh, he was uh, just just settling there, I think, when I moved to Galway. And he and others welcomed me you know, great and really kindly and, and showed me round. And uh, that really helped. Just those relationships are really important, aren't they, in ecumenism? It's just important to get to know one another before we have any judgments or anything like that and, and to learn from one another um, and to be open to one another and one another's traditions to enrich our own as well. Um, so there, there, is, there is good relationships. And I wish you all the best with your continued ministry here in Galway. Could you be moved at any time? That's a complicated question. Mm-hmm. With, within Presbyterianism, ministers often can stay uh, in a charge um, with a church for for a long time but within Methodism ministers would uh, travel more the, the word would be so they would be moved uh, to different congregations more regularly in this church because it's a united one it's also called an alternating ministry scheme it means the next ministers will be Methodist ministers and normally the time frame would be seven to ten years so we'll, we'll see we'll see what God has in store